Welcome to Spring the Beacon with Ryan Rieger. Today we're playing Lego, and Daddy has other dice stay on my play Lego. Hey guys, welcome back to the Streams of Income radio show. I'm your host, Ryan Rieger, and today I'm chatting with Chris Shipferling of GW Partners. Stephen Hibbert joins me on this as a co-host, and GW Partners is a company that Chris and his uh, business partner founded recently to help businesses grow and have an exit. So he comes from the investment banking background and is, has a lot of experience in sales. He has a fantastic story. Uh, you got to listen to it just for his story of how he was serving his customers when he was this, a sales rep for a baby products company. But he helps CPG companies, and that stands for consumer product goods companies, grow scale so that they can exit and he helps them he and his business partner consult them all the way through that process and help them get that exit um, this is just a fun episode i enjoy meeting so many people like this that are doing so many things outside of what um what I, what my experience is i just learned so much from being a podcast host and this one in particular i loved how chris was talking about there's two two important things about sales that he learned was developing relationships. What's so fun is that he would go to his customers when he was a early a sales rep early on with a ba- his, ba- the baby company that he was a part of. It was his, uh, I think he said, father-in-law's company. Um, he got a sales job. He said, we've got the worst territory, the worst everything. But he developed relationships with his customers, even going so far as just to tell them, hey, how can I help you today? Can I you know, help you on your on your sales floor. Can I sweep your floor? Um, he just built those awesome relationships. Now he that he has, he said he still has some of those past people like that as texting friends that he still keeps in contact with. So number one, develop relationship. Number two is work ethic, and that catapulted him from just a regular sales rep to running the whole sales and marketing department of that company. And now he and his business partner consult companies to be able to uh, grow and exit. Uh, Steven and I learned a ton on this episode. I know you're gonna enjoy it, here it is. Chris, welcome to Streams of Income. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Steven. Thanks for having me on, I appreciate it. So good, I, um, so I've been, it's it's amazing, Chris, the last, over the last several months, the number of really good podcast guests I've get into my inbox, like um, you've probably been on a lot of podcasts now. Um, from this side of things, it's like, those are like cold emails to me, but I read all of them. And before, for some reason, they just weren't, they just didn't seem to fit with my, what we're trying to do and accomplish. But man, yours is awesome. I, I sent Steven right Thanks. away when I got the the email. <laughs> hey, let's, let's have Chris on. This will be fun. And I think selfishly, <laughs> a lot of this is for us too, because we're at a point where uh, we've been yeah. thinking about um, how can we help businesses, not Amazon businesses, but um, folks that are, that have their own any pretty much any kind of business really we're honing in more on like content creators people with courses how can we help those people level up and then maybe get them to an exit but we have some yeah. questions about shareholders yeah. and all that type of stuff but all right enough about that tell us your story <laughs> yeah absolutely well again thank you so much for for reading the cold email um and <laughs> yeah, no uh having me on i do appreciate that so yeah, look, I'll, I'll I'll kind of go back to the just the beginning of my career. I started in business back in 2003, and I started out actually working in a baby products uh, company. Uh-huh. Um, so it was uh, it was a bit of nepotism, but it was very hard nepotism. My father in law was the president of a Japanese subsidiary 
called Combi um, that was actually based here in Charlotte as well. And uh, I begged him, begged, begged, begged for a job. I just wanted a sales job. And he said, no, no, no. They were publicly traded on the Nikkei. So there was a little bit of like bureaucracy and red tape that that went along with it. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, long story short, I wore him down because I wanted to be in sales. <laughs> and if you want to be in sales, that's what you do. You wear someone down, right? So uh, yeah, so I started there. He gave me the worst job in the company. I had a very small territory. I had a terrible salary. I had a terrible, pretty much everything across the board. And, um, you know, I just, I just learned how to, you know, develop. It's really two things in sales. It's, you know, developing relationships and it's a work ethic. I mean, those mm-hmm. two things, got them, you're really good at sales. And so I realized very early on, I was, I was good at this and I was good at developing relationships. And then, you know, slowly but surely, you know, even early on learning how to work with my, um, customers. And at that time it was mainly, you know, customers that had specialty stores, this was all brick and mortar, mm-hmm. um, which I'll get into some fun uh, people I spoke to, like, for instance, at the trade show in 2004, this weird bookseller called Amazon oh, said, wow. oh, we're going to start selling baby products. Would you put your baby products on our website now? Um, so that was fun to also see the evolution of that. But even yeah. even early on, I, I learned through developing those relationships, it was more than just going in and handing them a price list. It was, hey, you know, is there anything I can do for you? As, as small as, do you need me to sweep your warehouse? Like, do you need me to like clean up your floor? Do you need me to help sell on the floor while I'm there for a couple of hours? And it developed and blossomed into, hey, let's actually like strategically think about your business together. Yeah. You know, as I kind of matured in my own, you know, kind of my own development and evolution of business, it was, hey, let's take this a bit deeper than just you being a customer that makes me commission. Let's, mm. the deeper I get involved in your business, well, that all that stuff's just going to work itself out. So yeah, wow. I worked at, I worked at Combi for a bit. Uh, that was a lot of fun. I went to China a ton, um, worked with factories, sat in some really awkward negotiation meetings <laughs> where we were getting hotboxed by cigarette smoke and hours on end of negotiating and et cetera, et cetera. Um, did, you know, went to Japan a lot, Taiwan. I got real on the ground experience of how you build and maintain a real CPG company. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I worked with bigger clients at the time, Babies Are Us, Toys Are Us, RIP and Peace. <laughs> um, you know, Bed Bath and Beyond, Bye Bye Baby, another RIP and Peace yeah. um, as well to those guys, but uh, Sears and Kmart. So I, I eventually started working with more key accounts and larger accounts. And before I left, I was running sales and marketing for for Combi. I moved over to uh, Evenflow. How long um, did it take you to start when you were the, the horrible job to running the running the whole sales and marketing? Yeah, it was about it was about uh, five and a half years. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah, I was a twenty-three-year-old little pipsqueak, and then by the time I was about twenty-eight, twenty-eight and a half, I was kind of running, running their sales and marketing. And we were about we we're a twenty-two million-dollar company. We weren't anything. I'd say we we're still a small business, you know, especially compared to our parent who was yeah. a couple hundred million. But it, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it gave me a, a ton of experience. I mean, it was, I mean, just like probably with you guys. I mean, if you were to go to business school right now you'd probably breeze through the courses because it's like mm-hmm. all this on the ground experience is right. just so valuable. Yes. Um, so yeah, like again, kind of some of the funny stories I got a call from CSN stores, which is now called Wayfair. Okay. If uh, remember those guys back in 2008 yeah. or seven, and they, we were one of the first baby product brands to sell on their website. And, wow. you know, a, a friend of mine was like employee number, like, I don't know, seven at Zulily, uh-huh. you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I actually, through all that, I got to see the, the true evolution of mm. e-commerce. And, you know, back then too, 
I mean, brick and mortar hated online. If you were online only, you were not sold to. I mean, there yeah. were really strict policies from big brands that were like, yes. no way. And now the tables totally flipped. So mm. I moved into um I moved into uh to a much larger company. It was a almost a half a billion dollar business called Evenflow. And I came in there as like a, a sales manager, um, quickly moved my way into a director of sales. I was one of, I think, four directors who, for all intent and purpose, I we had a VP of sales. He was a figurehead. Uh, he'll never listen to this podcast, so I can say that. <laughs> um, so we all just reported directly to the CEO pretty much. Yeah. Um, it was uh, That was also a really cool experience. So there, I actually worked under a lot of P&G. It was based out of, you know, just north of Cincinnati. So there were a lot of Procter & Gamble. My CEO was the general manager of Clorox for t- for a time period. Yeah. Former CEO, CEO before him ran Ben and Jerry's, ran um, Atari, Dove. I got just really, really cool kind of immersive by osmosis yeah. CPG, like rich CPG experience. And so um, through through that time, I did the whole key account stuff. Also, another funny story: Amazon. I managed them for a bit. They were doing like maybe 25 million, maybe 30, and they were so not strategic. Like anytime I would talk about Amazon, you know, CEO would be like, I don't really care about Amazon. I don't want to talk about them. And now it's their largest account. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's so very relevant to your audience because it's like, hey, you know, these yeah. big boardroom type guys 10 years ago were just brushing off this little thing called Amazon. And now all of them need Amazon, all of yes. them, every last one of them. So anyway, so yeah, from there, I actually went, uh, worked for a Barcelona-based company, just still stay in the baby space. Um, I ran kind of North America, South America for them. Um, It was a hard go, you know, taking anything from Europe and bringing it to the United States, um, you know, with a limited budget is never easy. Um, But that gave me a really first taste of being an entrepreneur Mm -hmm. because, you know, I, I had a specific budget from these guys. I had to get scrappy. I had to do it in a guerrilla marketing style way. I was selling premium product. I mean, these strollers were seven hundred, eight hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a very expensive um, product, and and so, uh, but I learned to really kind of get scrappy in that entrepreneurial mindset. Um, they almost went bankrupt, so they shut down America. Told me we're done now. I was like, oh, what do you mean we're done? Like, you're not going to do America? They're like, no, 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 we don't have any money in the bank. I'm like, well, that's not good. (laughs) So uh, they had to take a loan out and they got rid of America. So that's really where I was pushed off the cliff to do the entrepreneurial thing. And and all I was at Jeanne, so back in about 2014, um, I dug in and there is no executive class for how you do Amazon. You know this. This is yes. why you had your masterminds and this is why you had your groups and and specifically you, Ryan, you, Steven, this is why you had those groups because there yeah. was no, you know, Harvard executive class on how to sell on Amazon. Nope. And so I listened to Kevin King and Manny Coates and AMPM podcast, you know, religiously. I, I, I dug in on any white paper I get my hands on. I actually, you know, listen to people like Kevin David, which I regret and, you know, <laughs> other types of gurus at the time. And I literally learned how to sell a widget through Amazon. At the time, it was actually very easy mm-hmm. in retrospect. At the time, it wasn't easy. <laughs> but now looking back on like how complex Amazon is now yes. to then, like, damn, that was really easy. How do, you, how do you take a widget, put it through, you know, the Amazon wash, your listing optimization, keywords kind of from yeah. top of all the way down, to you know, driving the real organic uh, sales to then, of course, advertising and getting that thing shipped. 
mm-hmm. uh, from start to finish. And I had a little bit of experience with that. My brother-in-law has been doing FBA since since it started, 2007, something mm-hmm. like that. I think that's right. So yeah, I kind of vicariously knew about Amazon 3P through him. I always dealt with 1P, which is a totally different animal. It is, yes. Um, so yeah, at that time, I, I, I was actually coming off of that and getting kind of shoved off of a cliff. Um, I started my own consulting firm because I knew Amazon. And I also knew that a lot of my peers in the baby baby and toy space, which, you know, is a really, really, really good hunting ground for, for Amazon. Mm-hmm. They didn't know how to run their Amazon business. And so, and they also just had no digital strategy whatsoever. And so really coming off of this, I, I dug in, I started my own business and consulting company, helping specifically people in the baby and toy space. I had a little few other clients outside, but Mm-hmm. formulating their digital strategy, including an Amazon 3P strategy as well. Love it. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun. So coming off of kind of this, you know, bigger corporate-ish type background, you know, digging into now my own consulting and really diving into this Amazon space, which is, mm-hmm. the, you know, at the time and still kind of is very fragmented. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a really interesting uh, segue. And then I met some investment bankers here in Charlotte because this mm-hmm. is where all the investment bankers live is New York and Charlotte, basically. And I joke, there's a church, a brewery and investment bank on every corner. And um, <laughs> teamed up with some, uh, some investment bankers who were burnt out from, you know, big institutional banking. Mm-hmm. Um, and they started their own firm helping kind of taking an investment banking process that you normally would see at a middle market or an institutional investment bank when selling a company, bringing that to small business to provide a much more optimized process and a much more valuable transaction. Yes. And so that was our thesis. I joined up with them as business development and really the guy who could speak the Klingon when it comes to <laughs> spoke the financial Klingon. I spoke the other Klingon, the consumer product. <laughs> and, uh, and that was helpful. So, I mean, we started, you know, Global Wired Advisors at the time back in 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were very successful. You know, we obviously were kind of sitting in the catbird seat when it, when it, come, when it came to all the run-up of aggregators. Yeah. They called us because we were, you know, one of the very few investment bank, like true kind of institutional bankers in the space. And mm-hmm. we got a lot of phone calls from those guys just, you know, picking our brains on our thoughts, what we think about the Amazon space, et cetera. And, you know, they became friends of ours. And, you know, I, over the past, uh, so we ran the, you know, we had a really good run, but then unfortunately ran into a big uh, partner issue, which we could do mm-hmm. a whole other podcast about yes. picking the right partner. Um Long story short, myself and my business partner now, Jason, with GW Partners, we decided to do two things. One, go out on our own. Mm-hmm. We wanted to be boutique. So we were very intentional. We just wanted to be us two. Mm-hmm. And that's now dovetailed into our new product, which instead of just going out there and saying, sell, 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 let's go to let's, let's get you to market, you know, nothing's selling right now. And so we weren't necessarily forced to do this product, but in some ways we were, which is mm-hmm. look, we know the answers to the test. The earlier you get us involved, the better it's going to be when you when when it's time to sell the company. Yeah, and we can prove ourselves through that because when people talk to us, they go, "Oh, yeah, you actually do understand." Like when we talk about your digital marketing metrics, when we talk about your specific acquisition channels mm-hmm. and those metrics, what they mean, we have a backdrop and context to why a buyer is going to care about all these things. Yes, and measuring where your company is here. To then getting your company to here, mm-hmm. and usually that plan takes anywhere between twelve to twenty-four months. Okay, and so that's really what our new product represents: is yeah. look, we want to get involved as early as we can. 
We want to try and affect the the, the trajectory and the vector mm-hmm. of the company. And we want to get the company into its most optimized state to then go out and sell the business and That's good. make it a much different trade than what it would have been. Yeah. You know, if you're trying to do it now. So that's so good. I want to dig into some specifics about how you do that, how that works. <clears throat> I want to go back to when you were, when you said, is there anything I can do for you? Um, how many of your customers took you up on the offer to sweep the floors, to be their salesperson on the floor? You'd be like, shocked. That- so, <laughs> I loved it. So you'd be shocked that, you know, a lot of them, a lot of them were wide open to it. I mean, I, I became yeah. friends. I mean, I've been out of the space now for, I mean, truly out of the space, but you know, a lot of these folks are still my my texting friends. You know, they they became like genuine, yeah. You know, actual good solid you know friendships relationships. But mm. yeah, one in particular, there's a there's a baby store here in Charlotte um, that would do a twice a year a one day sale, and um, I'd actually come in and I'd work that sale with them. Wow. And um, yeah, and I just kind of threw that out there to almost anybody, just like, hey, if you ever need me to work your floor, if I'm either in the area. Or if it's for a weekend, you know, selfishly, mm-hmm. you have a chance to push your product. But sure. what they really think about working with myself in particular, they would see me on the floor selling everything. I really was an advocate for the store, not just for my yes. product. So that's incredible. Yeah. I bet there's a whole like book or course or some something in there. Because I've t- Stephen and I have talked to a lot of people on this podcast. And I've never heard anybody ever take that approach. I know serve selling it. You are you are serving your customer. And the fact that you came, like not what can you do for me, but what can I do for you? That whole attitude probably is what took you from at the bottom of the ladder to five and a half years later, you were running the whole team. (laughs) That's incredible. It serves a lot of purposes too. I mean, look, you, you really, you really actually, you learn a lot of empathy and because you actually get to see it through their eyes. Like, so instead of just saying, you know, you're giving a bunch of advice on what they should and shouldn't do. You actually were in the trenches with them and saying, yeah. Hey, you know what? you're right. Actually, when you tell me when I'm trying to present you a new product and you've told me, Hey, look, man, parents just don't want that. They keep asking for this. You know, a lot of sales reps or salespeople will just argue. No, that's not right. Our research says this. It's like, all right, cool. Well, let me work the floor with you and let's see if you're right yeah. or you're wrong and let's do this together. Yeah. And, and you know, you just, you just also, you learn a lot of, you learn a lot of what their pain points are Yeah. and you learn how, where to empathize with their pain points and then also how to solve for their pain points too. That's you know, so good. Steven, that reminds me of what you talk about when you have a, <clears throat> do a real estate deal, getting on the other side of the table with them. So it's like yeah. you same together, side, same side of the table. Yeah. yeah. And like, that's exactly what uh, Chris was doing when he was doing that. He's like, and, and Chris, I just love that. I've obviously, I know that's not why you're on this podcast, but that's yeah. why I love hearing people's stories because that is so much gold right there that if I'm in yeah. sales, like let's, how can I serve my customer for real? And then they got to know, like, and trust you. And yeah. that catapulted your business. It catapulted your career. Yeah. It, it, and honestly, it, it works even today when we're talking with potential clients. I mean, look, you know, I'm not going to sit here and lie. Yeah. There are times where I really want the client and I put on that gas thick and they know it because <laughs> I'm just like, oh, you're such a good business. I really want to work with you. Um, yeah. But I think for the majority, <laughs> clients really trust. And I'm sure you, both of you work this way, too. They just they're everyone's just begging for transparency, real transparency. Mm-hmm. Like they're just begging for real honesty. And and part of that is actually a it's a it's an industry problem. I've noticed this with the Amazon space. There's a lot of liars out there in e-commerce space. There really is. There's just a lot of people 
saying things that just really, it's just not the truth. And they're really only doing it to drive business. And it's just, it's just shady. It's just not cool. And so when they hear somebody come on, like, oh, you sell companies and you went on a podcast and said nothing's selling right now. Yeah. Well, nothing's selling right now. That's the God honest (laughs) truth. Like, you know, we spoke to an M&A firm who sells um, not e-commerce businesses, but they've been a very successful M&A firm, middle market for 23 years. This first half of the year, they'd sold zero businesses. Mm. zero nothing was getting done it was it's been a very tough go so yeah wow. i part of it's just a passion when i hear someone on stage trying to sit there and be like, oh yeah we're selling tons of companies right now it's like oh no stop it so and i think a lot of what i learned early on working with clients a lot like what you guys do it's just like mm. hey look people just want to like just give me the god honest truth be direct yeah, yeah. i so, love it Wow. Uh, Stephen, you have any questions for me before we, I want to go in to uh, talk about how GW partners does what they do. Cause that'll bring up a lot of questions. I'm sure you have. Yeah. I just wanted to point out that relationship piece. I think that is the core of all of my success. I was at a meeting today and I haven't gone in probably two or three years, but as soon as I walked in everybody was like, Oh, Hey, Stephen, what's going on? It was just like, Oh yeah. I built these relationships over a very long period of time. I can go right back into this where some new people were handing out cards, but it was like hard for them to have those relationships and conversations. And I was like, these are rock solid. I think you show your stand-up guy. I was serving a lot of them. That story of me parking in front of Pete's driveway came up where it was just like, oh, he's going to harass you until he gets what he wants. So he's a go-getter. Like, I think you kind of make or break your name like you in do. the business space that you're in. So you going to those companies and say like, I will serve and I will help. Like, I don't know where that shows up in later half of life, but it, it, I'm sure if there's ever a room where you're in, where you help somebody like that, it's the floor is yours. Like you can kind of do no wrong in that space. And yeah. I think it, you do see a lot of charlatans online because it's so easy to live and there's no fact checking. So if I were to go yeah, into that right. meeting today and say, Oh, I do this and I do that. It's like, yeah, but all those people that you say you do that stuff with is right here in this room. So I could just ask them versus <laughs> exactly. like, like by just going out. Is that real? Yeah, other people telling <laughs> other people about you is like, a, to That's me, right. the much easier way to do it than trying to sell myself. I don't enjoy that part of it. But the relationship is key. And I'm glad Ryan stopped on that. That's so great. Businesses, totally. relationships. <clears throat> so tell us about GW Partners and like, I just like, and I'm sure it'll break open a whole bunch of other questions on how, you know, how it works and who you're yeah. looking who's your ideal client, but just tell us about how you guys work. Yeah. I mean, so we're, we're, we're pretty laser focused. I mean, before when we were, um, you know, global wired advisors and a much bigger firm, we, we, we would entertain potentially working with, you know, an agency or agencies to take them to market. We never actually did. Um, we did take a SaaS business to market <laughs> really random fun fact. We sold it to Ryan Graves, the co-founder of Uber. That was mm. so- Oh, wow. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Even more fun. It was during the pan, like right when the pandemic started and the the stock market was crashing. Mm. For every ten dollars Uber went down, his net worth went down two hundred million. Oh so we were like, "Oh, this trade's not going to get done." It's not- <laughs> oh, it got done. Okay, we're good. <laughs> so that was uh, that was a whole fun. But we're we're really, I mean, just given my background and now given kind of our our individual kind of our reps at Global Wired. We're pretty laser focused on consumer products. That's it. Um, so we work with you know consumer product companies. They need to be brand. They've got to be brand centric, or at least have a view. Um, not even a view. I mean, they really have to be a branded company. We cannot work 
you know, our model, our product does not work well with anything that was, is even close to being commoditized, um, kind of touches more or less commodity, doesn't really have any moat around it as they, as, as they like intrinsic value. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and you guys know what I mean. I mean, brand is the way the consumer perceives you, but it's more value. than IP, you know, it's, it's, it's product differentiation. Um, it's a second conversation with the consumer. You know, it's, it's all these brand building elements. It's not just a logo and, you know, a couple cute pictures. Like it's, <laughs> it's a lot of stickiness and advocacy and loyalty yeah. and et cetera. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah, that's kind of who we like to work with consumer product companies that fit that mold. We, we typically work with companies that have revenues of around five to 7 million at the minimum. And that's just because we can get in and really do a lot of effect in terms of you're here, your goal is why. And so let's, let's now, most companies hit an inflection point around that time anyways. And you just need to put some really strong either capital or resources, et cetera, to really start seeing the flywheel. Um, and then, yeah, really what we do is we we have a four-phased approach to a client. Um, you know, and this is all on our website, but phase one is uh, we do an assessment. So it's very much like a McKinsey or Deloitte style type of engagement, like a consulting engagement. So we phase one, we've got, um, we do an assessment, we do a very deep analysis of the company across every function and our request list is like a scroll. I mean, it's very long. <laughs> we have a lot of conversations, we have a lot of meetings, we're really getting to know the company on an intimate and, and very detailed uh, level. You're probably not taking on five companies a day or anything like that, because you couldn't do that. <laughs> we don't want to do that. That's exactly right, Ryan. You nailed it, man. Like if we did that, our liver would be coming out of our mouth. Um, so maybe like four companies a year, all right? Or Yeah, that's basically, I mean, look, you know, I was actually on like a kind of a mastermindish thing uh-huh. and I was asking like what's your ideal like what's your what's your ideal business world look like and our ideal is like yeah about five to six clients in every stage like five to six clients in the pipeline five to six clients we're really working on and five to six clients that were that are active and in market that's kind of about I mean that that's a really big workload yeah is that just um, you and your business partner or do you guys have a team it, wow it's just him and I and that is on purpose it's on yeah. purpose because you know, again, we really mean it when we when we talk about our product. The earlier yeah. we can get involved, the yeah. much better it will be when we're actually now taught. We'll know that we know the company so well. Yeah, we're we're, we're embedded into the business so Almost much. Almost like you're an employee of theirs. <laughs> Basically, or like a co-founder. Honestly, <laughs> yeah. so that way when we talk to private equity or we're talking to a family office, and you know, we can we can speak all the investment bankery speak, as my business partner likes to say. <laughs> but but taking that a level deeper and saying, here's why this is a good opportunity, and you speak with yeah. authority. You really yeah. know the company, and you don't do the business brokery thing where you're like, well, let me just put you on a phone with the guy. <laughs> you know, yeah. here's an interview with him. It's yeah. like, no, no, no. I want you to hear from me. I've been yeah. in the trenches of this company and here's why it's an opportunity for you and why you should consider, you know, yeah. putting this into your portfolio. So, yeah. so yeah, we, we, we dig in and we phase it out analysis that we do execution. So execution is we, we scorecard our phase one <laughs> engagement. So what we're doing is we're really scoring the company. How much longer, like, what's your runway? How much more do you have to go to get to your goal? And everything is done in a context of why would a buyer matter or why would a buyer care about this, what we're telling you that needs to be done. Mm. So nothing is ever done in vain or like a, you know, a gerbil wheel. It's always done like, hey. Purposely for a point of. Yes. You need to do this because this will actually translate into more dollars on the table. Here's why. 
And then phase three for us is maintenance. We're, you know, basically having monthly, maybe weekly calls. That's about it. But we're now kind of in maintenance mode. We're we're turning our attention to the SIM, the offering memorandum, or the you know confidential informa- information okay. memorandum. We're thinking about the outline. We're we're keeping in touch with the company and how are things going? Are we still hitting our goals, et cetera? And then phase four for us is M and A. So yeah. you know we've built the SIM. We are now actively in market. We are we've got our strategic list of who we're hitting, um, and we're having conversations with them. Typical investment banking process. We're driving them towards an auction. You know, LOI date is going to be whatever, July 31st and et cetera, et cetera. And then really it kind of just moves direct. M&A phases that full process, LOI or IOI to LOI to then diligence and a closing and all that stuff. So that's really our four phase approach. And that's, that's what our, our new product looks like. That's so awesome. Steven, yeah. Yeah. Well, I just, a rough timeline on that i know the sale portion is hard to nail down yeah from a first contact to like getting ready for that mergers and acquisitions how long does that normally take you is that a year process a six-month process you know and i hate to give this answer but i'll get specific i promise it's it goes it really is different each one is different so so when you're i guess doing it from a scorecard are there yeah. companies that you do that assessment with where you go, this should roughly take six yeah. months? Okay. So in that that's, phase, you have right. a, a rough estimate. Are those right. companies normally owner operators or are those companies that have interesting? Yeah. So basically like for instance, we're, we're working with one that's in the beauty space. Um, started working with them last summer. We, the first conversation, one of the first conversations we're going to have with you in our assessment and our analysis before we get to any, in, at the end of phase one is our scorecard. Before we get there is what are your goals? What are the goals out of this transaction? And we don't, we, te- we also ask this before we engage, because if the goal of the transaction is just a moving target, we don't want to work with you. But if you have very, a very specific view on what when you, you say go to- like an amount or just the fact that they want an exit? Yes. Yeah, so st- start at the top. I want to exit my business. I am very, very serious and committed to an exit. Great. Now, what are you looking to get out of this exit? How much money? Like okay. literally, let's talk about that. Let's not make this a moving target. If you give me a range, that's fine. But let's really talk about, now I want $30 million out of this transaction. Okay, good. That's a good backdrop. You want $30 million. Now let's move down a layer deeper. Are you wanting to stay on? Are you wanting to roll equity? You know, we start to get into kind of more detail. We zoom out and then we zoom in. Mm -hmm. And so we have a really good idea going into the engagement. And then we, and we have a lot of these conversations very early on to make sure we stress test the founder owner, (laughs) make sure that their, their mindset is staying in line with us. But yeah. Um, once we get to that scorecard, yes, at that point we're going, okay, you want 30 million. Your business right now is on a run rate to 10 with a 2 million of EBITDA. That means in order to get to 30, you know, sorry, you're just not going to building- pay 15 multiple for your business. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're probably going to have someone pay like a seven or eight multiple. So you back it up into the math for sure. But then there's all these other elements in by function, HR, finance, operations, sales channels, acquisition channels that we go through in a very detailed manner that backs all of that into here's how you're going to exit for 30 million. Yeah. So you're a one here out of five. 
you suck at operations. You have no infrastructure. You need a director of marketing. You are your cap is higher than your LTV. I mean, you get my point. But like, yes. <laughs> we have a lot of work to do here. And so uh, then that will also determine like, hey, you're like three years out, or you're two years, or you're six months. Something that was very uh, enlightening to me when I was doing a lot of consulting is a lot of business owners don't have the exit and don't know their current status of business is this the same similar thing that you're seeing when you're having these people fill out these assessments that you're just like oh you're unaware of where you're at and where you're trying to go and that's really what you're providing is a clear picture yeah i would say i mean look most of who we've worked with i'm thinking about our current client base i mean they're pretty pointed in terms of I know where I want to be. You know, we have another client of ours who um, he actually just got a bit. He got a decent strategic. He actually got a twelve multiple strategic bid. Wow, on a product based business, on a business and infrastructure like a a business, a model that doesn't exist. Okay, is there a software element to that? No, it's consumer product. It's a custom. It's a custom rug business, and so you know, got a really, really good bid. But again, you know, he's still a small company. So a 12 multiple still was not what his goals are. And so he was like, look, I know I can grow. I know I can scale. I know I can make this a lot larger. Here's what I want to do. I want to get to month, I don't know, you know, eight or 10. And I want to start looking at a minority investor in this kit in the business. And I want you guys to help me potentially identify that minority investor I want them to inject real capital into the company. And I want to go from being a 20 million to a hundred million. And I think I can do it. You know what I mean? So I'm I'm giving you specifics because he came to us with specifics. So a lot of the people we work with now, a lot of people I talk to like you, uh, they don't have a view. And so they don't usually become our clients because I have to give them a lot of like, Hey, I need you to go and do a lot of homework first. (laughs) You, You need a lot of soul searching first, you know, and here are the things I need you to just think about. And then let's have a conversation maybe a little bit later um, when you really understand kind of what you're trying to accomplish out of the business. Mm. So that's good. Without are you cons- any- <clears throat> Go ahead, I just want to title, I guess, for are you considered an exit consultor consultant? You know, we're, we are, it's funny. I actually just had to put this on. So like traditionally we've, we said, we're just a lower middle market investment bank because you know, it's, we run an investment banking process and, you know, we are bankers. Banker process is very different than broker process. That's traditionally what I've said. Mm-hmm. However, as of recently, to try and I'm all about simplification and I have no hubris. So I'm not about the big titles and I don't care about that stuff. I just want someone to understand what do I what I do. So today I actually did, I filled out a form for a podcast, another podcast, and it said, uh-huh. you know, what what do you do? And I said, consultant and then an arrow, MA. Mm-hmm. So okay. that's not what we are. It's like we're a consultant sense. for a while, and then we flip to being an M&A, M&A, like your banker. So we're like your consultant to help scale and grow, to help reach your goals. Yeah. And then we flip to being a banker because that's the type of process we run. That's good. Without getting into any information that you don't want to share, like um, let's pretend that Stephen and I are, we have a consumer product brand and we are a good fit for you guys. Can you talk about the arrangement, how that looks like without sharing any specific numbers? Like, do we give oh, you sure. a month? Do we pay you monthly? And then you get yeah. a piece of the pie at the end. Is that how that works? Yeah. So it's absolutely. And I don't mind sharing. I mean, again, you know, I do default to everybody's different and we charge differently based on work. Yeah. You know, it's just like any consultant, just like you guys, it's about time and scope. That's it. You right. know, if your scope is this big, we're going to charge you this much. (laughs) We're going to charge you this much. It's pretty simple. We try and make the math actually very simple. So here's what we do. We charge a retainer through our phases. Phase one is higher. Phase two, depending on how much you want us in execution, either stays the same, goes up a little bit or goes down. 
Yep. And phase three goes down. Okay. Phase four goes slightly up because we're starting to really, we're actively in market. We're doing a lot more work kind of in that barbell. Yeah. Um, and then we charge a success fee for, for selling the company. That's a percentage that we negotiate with the, with the, with the business right. owner. But here's what we do that makes us very friendly. All of your consulting fees get credited to the success fee. Oh, that's huge. Ooh. That's awesome. So yeah. we, we actually <laughs> believe what we are, are saying. If That's that makes sense. Really awesome. Like we actually yeah. care. <laughs> so yeah. we're not just there actively just trying to like retainers for us are great because, you know, otherwise we'd run a massive negative ledger until we sold the company. But for us, we really want to show a level of partnership to say, hey, yeah, look, you're not jacking right fees and nickel yeah. and diamond them up until. So, and we do it. I mean, literally when that waterfall comes in, we, we remind we've reminded our, our, our clients, you paid us. X for this already. It's from the success. Interesting. Yeah. Chris, do you have a hard time? Nobody's ever given us an extra bonus yet. I'm just saying that for your listeners. You know, I had a friend, I had a friend that would do a lot of hard money lending and he had his good customers. He would write the check. And then before he like let go of the check, he would remind, he was like, remember, I didn't charge you no origination fee. Remember, I didn't charge you. Like, and then he would say like his favorite steak place or wherever he wanted to go out to eat. He would just like remind them hand to hand. Was like, oh, that's so funny. He always right. got out to dinner because I mean, he was very liberal with the money lending. But I mean, it was always yeah. secured by whatever. But it, I just I was always well, enjoyed that part, seeing him in his office, write that check and then like hold on to it to go. OK, remember. And then he'd like go down the list. I'm like, oh, that's so funny. Well, it was secured by his Louisville slugger. That's what it was secured by. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh I've got gosh. true securitization right here. That's right. Chris, do you have a hard stop in 14 minutes? Um, I, I do, actually. Okay, I perfect. A, I do have a hard stop. Well, why don't you, um, what about, what, with thinking about my audience and, and just what are some things that you didn't share that you want to share? Any advice? Like one thing you, one thing that's cool about your business is you've seen a lot of businesses. Yeah. So what's, uh, maybe we'll make this the last question here. What, um, and, and then Steve and I can chat with a couple minutes at the end. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what are some, what are, like you've seen a lot of successful businesses. What are yeah. some of the things you've seen in common amongst those that could be, you know, helpful to the audience? Yeah. I'd say, look, an owner founder who is not afraid to admit that they don't know what they don't know. Well, <laughs> when we have found is owner and founders who, unfortunately have a pride and hubris about things that they just, Oh, I, I know how to do this. You know, I know how to do this better than anyone else. Please don't do that. Like that's like <laughs> such the opposite of Jim Collins. Kiss of death. Yeah. It's kiss of death, man. And, and that really is a level five leadership, right? From yeah. Jim Collins, which is, you know, I'm, I'm really looking at the flaws in the mirror and I'm looking at the successes outside the window. Mm. And, you know, I'd say, that's that's one, you know, kind of have some sense of humility and, and have self-awareness. That's really important. I'd say, you know, number two, there are some really amazing resources within reach. You know, you, you think to yourself as a consumer products business owner, well, in order for me to, to be highly and heavily successful, you know, when it comes to product development, you know, I don't have the resources. I don't have the people like Unilever has or PNG has and you would be absolutely shocked now in this gig economy how many amazing product developers there are out there that are either moonlighting or they have their they have their own firm now mm. and they're all within reach they're not you know tens upon tens of thousands of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars they're 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 actually quite affordable i mean 
you know, we we put a we put a guy on um, that I've known for a while on one of our investments, um, which is a totally different topic, which we can do some other time. One of our investments that's in toy. He worked at Hasbro and Mattel and Disney and et cetera. And you would think he would charge an arm and a leg. The guy was 50 bucks an hour, man. Like wow. things are within reach. And, yes. you know, I'd say, look, we're not, that's not our secret sauce, our resources, but we do have some really good resources and it's become a real asset for us. We know a lot of really good people. Yeah. Um, and just, Hey, whoever's listening, they're out there. Like you, the, the good resources are out there. Um, you just good. need to know who to reach out to. So that's good. Um, and so you guys are at gw.partners. Yeah, man. And don't put .com at the end. Otherwise we'll bounce back. <laughs> it'll awesome. take you nowhere. Chris, so, thanks for being on with us, man. Anytime you want to jump back on, this has been fun. I know there's other topics we can cover. Uh, we appreciate you taking time. We'll love it, man. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it, guys. Bye-bye, everyone. See you next week.